thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Kings chapter 17. And you'll recall we were introduced to a man by the name of Elijah last week, Elijah the Tishbite. And we learned that he was a normal man just like us. And yet being normal did not limit God from using him in supernatural ways, extraordinary ways. Just like for you and me, being normal does not limit God from using you in supernatural ways. And he's one of my favorite men in the Bible. And he'll encourage us in so many different ways. His name, remember, means God is Yahweh, the true God. In the midst of false worship under King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, God is Yahweh. And we pick up in verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, turn eastward, hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. In the midst of idolatry and the leadership of Ahab, God sends a man. In the darkest time, there's always a messenger, and God sends Elijah to stand before this wicked king. He looks him in the eye and he declares to him that God is bringing a famine and a drought on the land, a drought that would lead to a famine on the land, and the drought wouldn't end except at the word of Elijah. A pretty bold thing to stay. And it was a direct attack or a direct face against the worship of Baal, which remember is the fertility God, the God, the false God, little g, that the people were worshiping and hoping would bring water and fertility to the land. They, they looked to Baal for rain. You could say that he was the rain God, among many other things. But now there's no rain. And notice in verse 2 it says, then the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. Elijah doesn't know it yet. We're, we're reading the life of Elijah in chapters, but Elijah's living his life. Don't ever forget that when you're reading the scriptures, that the people in the Bible are living this in real time, just like you live your life in real time. You don't know how this situation's gonna work out. You don't know how long you're gonna wait. You don't know how long God is going to, to bring you out or take you through. We're living it in real time, just like they're living in a real time even though we can read ahead. Don't you wish you could read ahead in your life? I actually don't wish I could read ahead in my life because I think, knowing my personality and knowing who I am and knowing some of the things that I've been through, if God told me what was happening, especially bad things in the future, I don't, I don't wanna know. I just wanna live today, moment by moment. That's what I think Jesus was teaching us. He was teaching us the lesson of abiding. And the lesson of abiding isn't to abide for a day, it isn't to abide for a week, it isn't to abide for a year, it's to abide or to live in and to gain and to receive your, the source of strength 
moment by moment. Moment just today. Just give me strength for today. You can give me hope for tomorrow, but I need strength for today. Now, Elijah doesn't know it yet, but this word will lead him through three different scenes of developing his personal faith and trust. While the focus sometimes can be on Ahab and his false leadership and false worship, God is also working through Elijah. And he's learning how to trust God as God raises him up. And you'll see the different scenes in his life. Strength, weakness, obedience, disobedience. And to me, it's encouraging because this is what we experience in our lives. We receive the word of the Lord. He comes to us as we read the Bible, as we listen to Bible study. The Spirit brings a scripture to mind. Somebody texts you a scripture or you're going through your social media feed and somebody posted something. A brother or sister shares because God wants to communicate his heart to us for the moment. And he wants us to obey in the moment. He, he wants our faith and trust to grow in him. And so he doesn't reveal the larger picture. He, he doesn't show us what's going to happen in a week or a month or a year. He, he wants us, uh, that, that verse, the word of the Lord came to him, is intended to build our faith. Because according to Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Elijah's faith is being built up, but he doesn't know it yet. Now, what was it exactly in Elijah's life after this strong word that God would then tell him to hide? Just go out into the, give that strong word, and then I want you to go off by the brook and stay there, and ravens are going to feed you, and you're going to be able to drink. What, what is it about that, that the Lord would care for him enough to get him out of the limelight, to get him in a place where he is just in obscurity, I find that interesting because we would think that God would use a guy like Elijah and keep him in the line, keep him up front, keep him in a place where he is constantly before Ahab and constantly before the people. But right after a strong word, the Lord took him and sent him to obscurity and quietness. Well, when you read through the scriptures, you're going to learn that obscurity and quietness is often the tool that God uses to develop his men and women. He uses this time of being out of what we would call the limelight or out of the focus. You know, you might be used in a huge way and then for a long season, God would have you to be quiet and God would have you to, you, you get to serve in such, I get to stand before Ahab and then the very next thing you're receiving food from a raven. And this is a tool that God often uses. And that man, because of our pride, we often come against and resist. We resist that, how could God use me at the brook? How could God use me in obscurity? What we tend to label loneliness, that's, that's the... That's the big word, the big buzzword that the world uses, loneliness. What we tend to call loneliness may simply be a preordained time of preparation and training for what God has for you next. That time of sensing, man, there's not a lot going on. It's not as much as I've experienced in the past. I was standing before Ahab and now I'm laying before ravens waiting for God to give me my food we find it in the life of Jacob 
when God would have him, times of Jacob on the run. We find this happening in the life of Moses where he spent those years in the wilderness. We find it in the life of Paul the Apostle when he was sent away for years in Arabia and Damascus. And now we learn about it here in Elijah's life at the brook Cherith. And the source of his food, notice, would be ravens. It, it just reminds me that we need to be careful not to limit God because you Bible students know, according to Leviticus chapter 11, ravens were unclean animals. And they are, they're kind of scavenger birds. They, they are unclean animals. And ravens are, are the kind of bird, according to Job chapter 38 verse 41, that don't even feed their young. And so here's two pieces where you could hear Elijah say, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, you cannot work in my life like that. Because number one, don't you know they're unclean? And, and then later we learn a lesson from God, right? What I have called clean, don't you call unclean. We learned that with Peter in the vision. And that was a bigger, that was all about food and unclean animals. But God was teaching Peter a lesson about people and about the gospel going out to all sorts of people. But you, it would have been a great time for Elijah to give some resistance here. And he could have even had biblical reasoning behind it. And said, I don't think that's from you. God. I don't believe that's from you. We just don't know what's happening behind the scenes of what God is really wanting to do. And God is preparing Elijah. He's preparing him for what's up ahead. What's up ahead? Well, notice verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And then she said in verse 12, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar, and see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Here's the preparation. Go out for a season by the brook. Learn to depend upon me, Elijah. Depend upon me from ravens, and as long as the water lasts in the brook. And then again, verse 8, the word of the Lord came. And it's from now the dried up brook that Elijah receives another word to go to Zarephath to meet a Gentile widow. What's the big deal about being called to Zarephath? Well, Zarephath, the city, is hometown. This was Jezebel's hometown. Jezebel, we'll learn, hates Elijah's guts. And we'll learn, as you guys read ahead, that Jezebel is going to vow to kill him. Not, not there yet. But God is dealing with Elijah's heart and sends him to this Gentile city to meet a Gentile widow to the city that was the very heart of Baal worship. And God is calling him into enemy territory where there's an oppressed, hurting woman that needs care. Now, as we were hearing the update, what was going on in Europe and specifically Ireland, when you have 98.5% of the population that either is anti-God or atheistic or resistant to the gospel, you could say that Ireland is very much like Zarephath. You could say that for just about every city around the world today. 
You could say that of where you work and where you live. You, you and I could say that the, the world is filled with, with difficult places. Listen, the world is filled with difficult places populated by hurting people. Which one will you look at? Which one will you pay attention to? Because if you pay attention to the difficult place, you may resist going there. Even if the word of the Lord came to you and said, arise and go to. Your first response might be, oh, that's a hard place. That's a difficult place. I don't want anything to do with that place. It's, it's crime ridden. And it's, you know, all, all, of the, all of the things that would speak to our own personal comfort. And the word of the Lord says, I want you to get up from this dried brook. I want you to get up from this place where there's no more water. And I want you to go to a place that is difficult and that is hard. Where all they do is worship the false god of Baal. I want you to go to the enemy territory. Why? Because there's a hurting person there. There's a hurting person. Widows in that day were poor to the point of extremely poor. She's out collecting sticks. She had nothing. She would have been one of the first ones in the community to run out of food. And to run out of everything that would sustain her and her child to life. And yet God saw her and sent Elijah to her. And he comes and he asks for a little bit of water and a little bit of bread. And how encouraging this widow is to us. As we step back and think for a moment. I mean, she's living under the most difficult conditions as a widow with no family and no help. The drought is affecting her tremendously. And yet when she asks for water, when she asks for water, she brings it. And notice in verse 13, Elijah says, don't fear, go and do as I said. Make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your, and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. It's such a great conversation between Elijah and this widow. In her time of deep distress, in her time of deep difficulty, in the midst of her trial, she gave what she could to someone else. She gave what she could. What some might look at and say, not enough, she gave out of, well, that's the key in life, isn't it? The key in life is to give and to be generous. I believe that followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, you and me, fellow believer, fellow Christian, should be the most generous people on the planet earth in every sense of that word. Not just financially, although that is a measurement, but generosity. Not, not just in outward action, but in the heart of the matter. Because you can think, if, if you are not a generous person, it's a heart issue. And it could be the very root of generosity and the lack thereof is not recognizing, not recognizing the generosity of God. Who gave his very best for you and for me. God has put us in connection with others so that we have the opportunity to get our eyes off of ourselves 
and to serve them. Isn't that what Paul told us? Uh, When he wrote to the church in Philippi, he said, let nothing be done, this is Philippians chapter two, verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In Romans chapter 15, verse one, let me read it to you from the New Living. It says, we may know that these things make no difference but we can't just go ahead and do them to please ourselves. We must be considerate, in this case of the doubts and the fears of those who think these things are wrong. We should please others. If we do what helps them, we will build them up in the Lord. He was talking about you know, meat that was sacrificed to idols and I like the New Living because it says, look, we shouldn't do things to please ourselves. God has given us freedom to express love, not for selfish ambition, not for selfish gain. The freedoms that we have, if if you're going to be one of those believers that magnifies your freedom in Christ, which I think is a great thing to do, magnify it for the purpose of serving others and thinking of others. That's where freedom really gets its best expression when you begin to think of others more highly than yourself. And so this must have been a tender yet stern conversation. I could see her, uh, I could see in my mind, in my holy imagination, her face is worn and it's tired, and she's scared, and she's unsure of what will happen, and she gets out and begins to find some sticks, uh, picking up what she can. I don't know how it sounded. I'm not entirely sure. The Bible doesn't give us the tone of voice, but here Elijah's asking for food, and the widow's thinking of death. Don't miss that. That's what's on her mind. What's on her mind is she's about to die. There's no hope of it getting better, no hope of it improving. It's a desperate time. And in the realm of generosity, Jesus would point out to us, he would teach us. And I can picture this in my mind, Jesus there at the temple watching people give, the Bible says. He was watching them give at the temple. And there was a religious guy, a a religious leader who was making sure that everybody knew how much he gave. And he was blowing the trumpet and getting everyone's attention because in the temple they had boxes around the temple that were shaped like horns. And that would be the offering box. It's a similar pattern that we use here at Calvary where we don't take a formal offering where the ushers are coming out and we're passing bags and neither are we against that but we have boxes around the sanctuary and and that heart of worship when you come to church, when you come to the gathering, it's already on your mind. I'm coming to give, not receive. And so the offerings are put in the boxes or even now you can give online and set it up there. Well, Jesus was there watching people give and he saw the religious leader getting everyone's attention to show how much he was giving. Oh, look how much he was giving. Look, what a great giver he was. And then the widow came. He watched the widow too. And she dropped in what would be the equivalent of a third of a penny or a couple pennies. You you could put it this way, you know, the religious leaders dropping a thousand bucks and here's the widow giving a couple pennies. And because we judge outwardly, it would be very easy to say, well, look at him, what great giver he is. Look at how much he gives and how much he loves God and how much he loves the temple. Wasn't true. Wasn't true at all. We might look at the widow and say, what's two pennies? What's a penny? What's a third of a penny? 
You know, why don't you save up until at least you get a quarter or a dollar and then you give it to the Lord? But that's not how Jesus saw it. He says, you guys watch as I'm watching. This gal, she gave it all. The religious ruler he gave out of his abundance. Anybody can give out of their abundance. Everybody can give out of their abundance. But Jesus was teaching us, can you give it all? Can you give it all? That's what's happening with this widow here. That was the question that Elijah, that, that's what he was requesting. Can you give me all? What little you have. A little bit of water, a little bit of oil. Can you give me all? It was a huge question. You know, we tend to think that, that abundance, and, and, and it's good that God had, I mean, we live in the land of abundance. We live in the world of abundance. We live in the country of abundance. We live in the Western church of abundance. And listen, if you're in a place of abundance, and you are compared to, I don't know what the latest statistic is, but let's just say 97% of the world, 97% of the world lives at a desperate poverty level. And even some of the most difficult situations in our country are above that, as difficult as they are. We live in the world of abundance, whatever level of abundance that we have, and we can't forget, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. And yet, God doesn't even measure on that level all the time in the sense that what the widow had, God required it from her. He asked it from her. True sacrifice often comes from desperation, not abundance. True sacrifice, I've found, often comes from desperation and not abundance. We tend to think that times of abundance is a time to bless and serve and give to others, and, and that's true. But it's also in times of desperation, times when our faith is being stretched, that the Lord desires our giving heart to grow and flourish because giving releases the blessings of the Lord. Not in the word faith kind of movement way where if you give to get, no, no, no. When you release, you give and release yourself from holding so tightly to what you have, God begins to bless. You don't boss God around and you don't give to get. But when you give, especially in difficult times, the Lord is there to bring blessing and encouragement and himself. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus taught us this. He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put back into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And here this widow is being asked for everything. And Elijah says, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of us. God's going to take care of you. Don't worry. Just give what you have. Bring it to me. Give what you have. He says in verse 16, bring it to me. Isn't that what Jesus told the kid with the bread and fish? Bring it to me. Just bring what you have. Bring me what you have. Because God, God is saying to us as a church, he's saying to us as, as the church at large, bring me what you have. Don't speak about what you don't have. Bring to me what you have and I will bless it. I will break you and I will multiply it into people's lives. Bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. And that's what Elijah says. And she said in verse 15, she went away, did according to the word of Elijah. 
And the result, verse 15, she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. By the way, Zarephath, one of the meanings of that city, it literally means a refining place. This was a place of refining both for the widow and for Elijah. Elijah was telling her, put God first and God will take care of you. Have faith in God, trust him. It's almost too basic to repeat, isn't it? It's one of those foundational truths of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Put God first and God will take care of you. Have faith in God, trust him. Jesus would put it this way, but seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's not times of abundance only that God would ask. He also asked in times of desperation. If you'll put God first in your life, he will take care of all those things that trouble you and cause you to lose sleep and concern you. The order is always God first followed by faith. And it's interesting as God teaches his people how to give, as God teaches his people how to tithe, they were to what? Bring the first fruits to God. We were to bring the first fruits to God. We were to give right off the top to him first before anyone or anything else. Which always leads us to the question that's pretty common. I haven't heard it in a while, but it usually goes something like this. Pastor Ed, I'm learning about giving and I'm just wondering... In my giving to God, should I tithe off of the gross or should I tithe off of the net after taxes and everything taken out? And the answer, the Bible answer to that is to give as, as you purpose in your heart. That's the Bible answer. But as I collect the various teachings in the scriptures, one of the questions I would ask back to you is, how do you want to be blessed? On the gross are on the net. Another question I would ask you is, what does first fruits mean to you? Because if our United States government already knows to take what they believe is theirs right out of the top, isn't God greater than our government? Isn't God the author of the provision that he's given to us? And it's really a decision you need to make between you and the Lord. Give cheerfully, the Bible says. Give to him as you purpose. And where he, that purpose is not like what you think you should do. That purpose is God's purpose he's put in you. you, you the fact that you even want to give to God reflects the relationship that you have with God. So you give because God has purposed in your heart. He's revealed to you his provision, his goodness, his faithfulness. It's not your hard work. It's not all the overtime. It's not the years you spend in college and on and on. It's God and his grace and his mercy that we have what we have. It's his faithfulness. And so to to the question of whether you give on the gross or the net, I say go big because God went big for you. Trust him. It's one of the only times in the scriptures that God will say to you and to me as he said through Malachi, test me, test me on this. Go ahead. In the realm of giving, test me. Bring to me the first fruits 
Bring to me what I ask and what I require, God says. And test me that I wouldn't open up the heavens to you. A blessing of provision. It's a lesson of discipleship in our lives. I know that early on in our walk with the Lord, our relationship with the Lord, giving was a big deal for me because I would walk into a church that was much bigger than this and I remember thinking, this church doesn't need my money. And I was living in a time and I got saved in a time when those big scandals took place. Those first, the first time scandal in the evangelical world took place with the televangelists like Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. And I still recall there were times when my dad wasn't much of a mocker or wasn't, but when it came to those guys ripping people off on TV, he, had no, he would have none of that. And I remember watching it on Nightline with him at night and seeing the scandal and how they stole millions and millions of dollars from faithful, loving, wonderful believers like you, like me. They completely ripped them off in the name of God. And I remember as a new believer thinking, well, it looks like I, I sat in a church like this and I looked around with my human eyes and I think, they got it taken care of. It's already here. They don't need my money. And so when the offering came around and they passed an offering there, you know, I may, might drop $20 in there, which did not in any way reflect 10% of what Marie and I were making at the time, but I was giving. And that was a big thing for me to give to a church. And, and as God began to mature me and grow me, because he, here's the thing, here's the thing that you'll find out. I, I found out the hard way. If you hold back from God, if you hold back from God in every area of life, especially financially, you will always have a problem with money. It will always be an issue for you. I remember times, and I can't put it piece to piece, like God didn't show up in my bedroom and say, this is for you. But, but there would be a time where I'd feel like giving, and then I'd say, no, I'm not going to give, and then the muffler would fall out of my car. And it's almost like God saying, I'll get that money out of you one way or another. And a series of events, just really weird stuff, you know, something would break. Like, it shouldn't even break, but, but it was God dealing with the issue of our hearts. So God comes to you and says, I, I, sends a messenger and says, I want you to give sacrificially. And, and your response is, man, I'm looking for sticks, man. What, what, what more does God want? I've got a little bit of water. I've got a little bit of oil and flour. My, my, I've got a household to take care of. I have no, what does God want from me? He wants what he asks for. Because he asks for what he's already given you. And it isn't that he's asking this widow to give everything up so that she will die, which is on her mind. It's so that he might show himself faithful in her life and use this widow in the life of Elijah to show Elijah that he's faithful because Elijah's gonna go from, from difficulty to difficulty to, di he's gonna, it's gonna get higher where finally we're gonna meet him at Mount Carmel. And that's not even the epitome of difficulty, but he's gonna be on Mount Carmel trusting in God for fire to come down. I mean, it, you, we'll get there. Read ahead. You've got to read ahead the next couple chapters. He only covers a couple chapters. Elijah will blow your mind. It, 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 is, it is a mind-blowing experience, but it's not just reserved for Elijah. Like God wants to do that work in us in the 21st century, building our faith, trust, causing us to trust. And, and this generosity comes, yes, in times of abundance, for sure, but also in times of desperation. 
Here you are in a desperate situation. Here you are with great difficulty. Perhaps it's your fault that you're in financial trouble. Perhaps you thought buying into the American dream and you would get out of debt and you could just get what you want when you want. Just like when we got married, I brought so much credit card debt into our marriage because I just bought anything. I mean, they gave me a credit card. I didn't even have a job and they gave me a credit card. I'm like, I like this, but I didn't like the bill. I didn't understand back then, or I refused to understand what 24% interest meant, compounded daily. What did I care? That I would make a $100 payment, but an interest was $130, and it just kept adding and adding the whole way this world. That's why we do financial classes here, to train you how the world system works so that you can learn how to use unrighteous mammon for the kingdom of God and not be used by the system and just be buried all at bury. And maybe the, the hesitancy you have in generosity, whether it's in tithes and offerings, whether it's helping family, whether it's helping a neighbor, maybe the issue is your fault. Okay, confess it to the Lord and pray that he'll get you out of it because he can get you out of it. You can get out of even the world system, the way it works, you can get out of debt so that the Lord can use your resources that he's entrusted to you for the kingdom of God. Maybe it's not your fault. A layoff, a company that was, that, that was strong at one time, now bad leadership, and now they're laying off. Or, or we saw a few years ago uh, with Bernie Madoff and, and how he ripped everyone off and just devastated retirement accounts and, and devastated an industry through lies and deceptions. That, that's our world. Our fault, their fault, doesn't matter whose fault, God is faithful. God is faithful to you. God is faithful to his word, just like it says here, God is faithful. Uh, in verse 16, the bin of flour was not used up. That's a miracle. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. And why? Why? The Bible says, according to the word of the Lord. And Elijah is learning today from this widow as she's learning personally that those who faithfully give God his first seem to always find that there's sufficient leftover afterwards. You never run out. There's always more than enough of God's faithfulness to go around. And this Gentile widow trusts God through the word of a prophet, through a man of God, steps out into faith, here she was thinking that the end was near, her personal end, that it was all going to be done. And it was very obvious, like there, there was no rain, that there was famine, there was difficulty, she's getting to the bare minimum. What is she going to get if she sells a few sticks or uses them for, what is it going to be? What, what can she, like she can never catch up. It feels like she can never catch up. And what little she has, Elijah asked for, why? Because God was testing her and proving to her his faithfulness, this Gentile woman outside of the covenant of God. I love it. We just can't skip by too fast. This, in verse 15, notice, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and he and her household ate for many days. I just love that. We can't be so fast just to skip by as God says, according to the word of Elijah, according to the word. And then again in verse 16, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke. That little phrase is a prayer. Turn that phrase, church, into a prayer. 
and begin to pray the word of God in your life according to the promise that he gave you, according to the vision that he gave you, according to the calling that he gave you, uh, matched by the faith that he gave you. Maybe, you, maybe you, you, you at one time received the word of the Lord and you were filled with faith, but now here you are and you're down here and your faith is like that jar of oil or that canister of flour. There's just nothing left. And God says, you give me what you have. Give me what you have. Give me what you have. Yeah, you, 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 wanted, you once had, man, all the decisions you made and you were bold and you were obedient. People thought you were crazy and here you are. But now over a few years, a few years, there's not much left and you're not so faithful anymore and you're thinking about quitting and you're thinking about throwing in the towel and you're not sure you even heard from the Lord. Listen, God's saying to you today, give me what you have. And then pray the prayer. God, do according to your word in my life. Do according to your word. Some of you need to go home and you need to think of the last time you heard from the Lord and hold on to that. Now, it could be that you're here or it could be that you're not here and you're listening to me. Go back to the word. Listen to, or, or maybe even, even pray, Lord, Lord, send me a prophet. Send me a messenger. And... You know, send me a text message. You can pray that. God, send me a text message. And he'll put it on someone's heart to send you a text message. And you're like, I didn't ask for a text message from them. (laughs) You did. You did. You come to a service like this and you say, God, speak to me. I'm not just coming to to show face to people. I'm not just coming to, I want to hear from God tonight in my abiding moment by moment relationship. I want to hear from God. I I want what little flour I have, what little oil, you know, it's a whole different thing that we could do. We don't have time, but the oil, speaking of the spirit of God, an unending reservoir, rivers of living water from you through the Holy Spirit. If you don't give and you and I are not generous, we're going to be out picking up sticks when we could have our jars filled with God's faithfulness. What's it going to be, church? Sticks or the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. And the result of her faith was that her needs were met miraculously and didn't run out because that's our faithful God. And that's where we'll end today. Father, as we look to Elijah and this widow and we'll meet her son in, in our next gathering, we're humbled by the faith and by the faithfulness of both Elijah and this widow because he had to go get fed by ravens. And if he would have never obeyed being fed by ravens, then he would have never met, he wouldn't have got the second word of the Lord. He would have only, I don't know, I don't know what he would have been doing. Maybe we wouldn't have the rest of the chapters. You would have found someone else. But he did, he didn't, he, went, he let the dirty birds feed him. And he drank until the brook dried up. And then the word of the Lord came to him again. Isn't that what you're doing in our lives? The word of the Lord comes. The word of the Lord comes. The word of the Lord. That we would have that fresh rhema word from you. That fresh word 
that would get, we would get it just like manna, that we would just take enough that we need today and not too much. We'd just take enough for now and then we'd take, and then on the sixth day, we'll take double so we could rest and we'll take it in and we'll receive from you your faithfulness. And I pray for the, just a little bit of uh, instruction on giving and how, how convicting, that's like talking on, that's like teaching on prayer. Giving can be convicting uh, because of statistics are true that people study church as God. I mean, you know the truth. We don't know the truth, but you know the truth. Majority of people don't give. And, and how much are we holding back from you, Lord? I don't know. I do thank you for the generosity of this congregation and how you have met every need. I have a lot of friends that, I mean, you have, you've given us so much that we can help others. And we do. We always have, even when we were little, even when we were smaller. You set the tone. And we can help this pastor over here and we can help this church over there and we can help this gift over there and, and on and on and on. Let us be generous and let us learn, Lord, what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.